This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. Warren Farrell thinks there's a boy crisis. And if you're not sure whether he's right, all you need to do is turn on the television or open up your favorite newspaper or your browser and check the news. There is something going on with boys, and most of it is not good. There's a crisis of education. Worldwide, boys are 50% less likely than girls to meet basic proficiency in reading and math. There's a crisis of mental health. ADHD is on the rise, and as boys become young men, their suicide rates go from equal to girls to six times that of young women. There's a crisis of fathering. Boys who grow up with less involved dads are more likely to drop out of school, drink, do drugs, become delinquent, and end up in prison. There's a crisis of sexuality. Sex is a minefield for our sons. They're bombarded with mixed messages, afraid of being either too sensitive or not sensitive enough. And it's a crisis of purpose. Boys' old sense of purpose, being a warrior, a leader, or a sole breadwinner, is fading. Many bright boys are experiencing what you might call a purpose void. They feel alienated, withdrawn, and addicted to immediate gratification. So what can we do about this boy crisis? Well, the first step is to grab something to write with because you're not going to want to miss a moment of this show where we're going to be talking about the boy crisis, what it is, and how to overcome it. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this. From the MrDad.com radio network. I'm in almost every school bus and classroom. I go to school with your children. We say the Pledge of Allegiance together. You see me around the neighborhood and you tell me that I'm a pretty good kid. Well, I'm one out of every five children in America, and I'm struggling with hunger. This problem is closer than you think. My teacher tells me we can grow up to be whatever we want. I want to grow up to be someone who doesn't go to bed hungry. There's enough food in this country to feed everybody. Please visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank for ways to help. Every dollar you donate helps provide eight meals for kids like me, quietly struggling with hunger. Together, we are Feeding America, brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brunt. My guest for this part of today's show is Warren Farrell, who's the co-author with John Gray of The Boy Crisis, Why Our Boys Are Struggling and What We Can Do About It. Warren, thanks for joining us here. Thanks for coming back on the show. You were here a couple of years ago. Yeah, uh, look forward to it. Let, let's talk <laughs> about this boy crisis because it's something I think that people are aware of, that there's something going on with boys, but it's in many ways it's not terribly politically correct to talk about boys being in crisis as opposed to boys being the cause of a crisis. Uh, how, how do you lay this out and then we'll, we'll get into the specifics? What's going on yeah. with boys? When I was going around speaking on some of the foreign translations of other books, um, I kept hearing in Japan and places, countries, different countries that, you know, for the teachers especially, there are boys, you know, the boys in my class are doing much worse than the girls in my class. And so that all started to sink in, and I started to, you know, wonder what was behind that. 
And then I found that in all 60 of the largest developed nations, uh, boys were falling behind girls in almost every single subject. And then I started looking at their physical health and, um, and their, you know, the fact that their sperm counts were, were dropping, their IQs were dropping, <clears throat> and started looking at their mental health and looked at the suicide rate of boys in early 20s being um, almost six times that of what girls in their early 20s are experiencing. <clears throat> and so I started to, you know, that was about a dozen years ago, and I started to investigate that. So the last 11 years I've been researching, you know, first of all, is there a boy crisis? And found out resoundingly that there is. <clears throat> and then if so, what are the causes of it? And identified about nine causes. And then, um, but one of the causes just stood out profoundly, and that was that um, the boy crisis basically exists among um, children of divorce who, after divorce, do not have a significant amount of father involvement, at least equal amount of father involvement. And then also in, um, in families where the mother had children uh, without being married, and usually that led to children not being involved significantly with their dad after two to three years. Well, when the, when the children were involved with their dad, either after divorce or after um, a, a mom had the children um, without being married, uh, the children did reasonably well if certain other conditions were met. Um, but when the children did not have a significant amount of father involvement, that is when they did worse in every single one of more than 70 areas, even wow. when you control for socioeconomic variables like, you know, poverty or, you know, location and, you know, other other variables like right. that. Right. You know, it's one of these causation versus correlation things. It, it, in some ways, and I say, so I wonder, I, I mean, I'm familiar with, with some of the research uh, that, that you're that you're talking about, it just always makes me wonder what is it exactly about the dad that that's happening there. I mean, is it in in I mean, which we know? I think in in inner city communities where there is a lot of fatherlessness, that kids are growing up without under an understanding of what it really is to be a man, as opposed to beating somebody up to be a man. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's got to it's got to be more than that. What is it about it, what dads are doing? I was able to identify 10 different ways that dad's parent versus mom's parent, and almost everybody understands the positive value of mom parenting, of you know, the nurturing process, the protecting, the, the vigilance, and all of that gives a child an enormous amount of, of security, feeling that they're loved and attended to and watched out for. Um, so uh, when, uh, but, but I also found that dads did things, I'll just take one example because of our time, like roughhousing. And, you know, mom would often look over and see the dad roughhousing, and in and, and the, and the back of her mind she's saying, uh, I feel like I have only one more child to monitor here, <laughs> and um, and sooner or later, there you know the, the um, uh, he's let's say he's roughhousing with um, uh, his son and maybe a, a neighbor's uh, boy that is uh, younger than the son, and say the the daughter who's younger than the son, and so uh, and the mother is just predicting that sooner or later something's going to go wrong, and one of the kids is going to start to cry, or they're going to hit their heads against each other, or they're going to hit their heads against the, the dining room table, and he's not far enough away from the dining room table, doesn't he see that? And yet the mother's also seeing, you know, that, gee, the kids seem to be having fun. Okay, I'll try to keep these feelings to myself. And, um, and she uh, and that, and so, and sooner or later, 
about a 99.5% chance that the children will, in fact, hit their heads against each other or something like that, you know, or hit their heads against a, um, uh, a dining room table um, or coffee table, and then also, um, or one will feel left out or pushed aside, and they'll start crying and be really upset. And, uh, and then when the child, when that happens, um, she's really upset at herself for not interfering sooner. Um, and then she's astonished that the dad just continues, the, you know, just, you know, sort of um, uh, just glosses over the process and, and then recontinues the roughhousing. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. don't you get it? <laughs> she's saying. And then she's feeling guilty because she didn't intervene sooner. And so, but what, what, what is happening there are so many important things just in that roughhousing scenario. So, for example, the dad is, um, is, is saying oftentimes to the older boy, um, you know, that was not okay that you just, you know, stopped, knocked, you kept your sister away from um, getting equally involved, you know, or getting involved. He doesn't get right. equally involved, but just getting involved, you know, coming in there like that. And you pushed her out of the way. That's not okay, Jimmy. And you did the same thing with, uh, you know, with Johnny from across the street. That's not okay either. So you do that anymore, and the roughhousing will stop for everyone. So now let's just unpack that scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, first yeah, well, of it's all, empathy is is partly. Yeah, that's a... that's exactly right. I mean, the 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 child, the father is teaching the chi- children to n- not only think of the brother and the, the the you know the boy across the street and the sister, and, but he's also requiring that child to think of his brother and uh, his his sister and. Um, and the kid from across the street. And if he doesn't think of them uh, adequately, the roughhousing will stop. The roughhousing will stop for everyone. And the and so let's um, and and so that requ- means that the boy the the boy starts learning that if I don't um, if I don't pay attention to um, not pushing my sister out of the way or the boy across the street out of the way um, and thinking of their needs. I'm going to get punished, but also I'm going to be responsible for the other kids being punished too, which means I'm going to, I'm going to get social pressure on me for spoiling the fun for everybody in addition to being a bully. And so bullying doesn't pay or pushing aside doesn't pay. Thinking of others does pay. Mm-hmm. And so now the next question is, what, you know, do dads enforce that boundary? And the answer is dads have a tendency to enforce boundaries to say, I, I said, don't do that, any of that pushing, and you did, and therefore there is no more roughhousing. And so, um, and so the kids are learning all along what is the boundary between uh, what is going too far and what is having fun. And, exactly. and, and they're getting that from experience. And so when the kid, one kid hits his head or her head against the other, from the dad's perspective, that's the kids learning when they've gone too far, not by a lecture, but by experience. And so, but the dad, but the mom isn't at fault for not understanding this because dads don't read that many books on how to, how to do the roughhousing and what's the value of roughhousing. So dads don't explain that to moms. Yeah. And moms can't, moms can't hear what dads don't say. You know, there was another, another thing I remember, and you probably came across Ross Park when you were doing your research, one of, one of my mentors in the fatherhood field. And he was telling me about uh, experiments that he had done when he was first starting off in the, in researching about dads. And, Another area that dads are are different than moms, and 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 I think you said this before. It's like different, equally important, but but different. 
is that when when dads are out with a little toddler, that they they would watch and see when the kid falls down, who picks him up and after how long. And they'd find that the dads would wait a couple seconds more than the moms did. And the message there was very clear, which is, I know you can get up and you can mm-hmm. you can do this you you know you, you, and it it really is giving it seems so simple but it is telling kids that they have the power to get up off the ground and help themselves and, that's, and uh, that's they, absolutely right I was I had a little little exchange with with my daughter about something similar to this we were walking down the street near a park and there was a girl who just came running out she skidded fell flat on her face and she gets up she looks around There isn't an adult, there isn't a mom, there isn't a dad, there's nobody there. And she just gets up and she goes back and runs into the park. And Mm -hmm. I said to my daughter, she's like, you know what would have happened if her mom or dad would have been there. She would have been screaming and crying and and, we'd never have heard the end of it. Um, Talking with Warren Farrell, who's the co-author with John Gray of The Boy Crisis, Why Our Boys Are Struggling and What We Can Do About It. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into a lot more specifics about what's going on. with. I'm Armin Brott. You're listening to Positive Parenting. Son, we got to talk about drinking. I I know. I don't want you touching alcohol until you're old enough. Yeah, I, I know, Dad. It's not a big deal. Don't, yeah, I know me, okay? And it is a big deal. Underage drinking is just stupid. Yeah, well, why'd you do it? Look, I did it because we didn't know what we know now. Alcohol affects kids differently, okay? When kids drink, it's more dangerous. And you're my kid. And just because they drink doesn't mean you have to. I I know. I know. Look, son, I'm trying to help. I've seen what it does. I mean, you may think you can handle it, but when you drink, it screws up your judgment. Listen to me. This is real. I, I know, okay? I know. Teenagers know everything. So talk about underage drinking before they know it all, before they're teens. Start talking before they start drinking, and keep talking. To learn more about the dangers of underage drinking and what to say to your kids, go to StopAlcoholAbuse.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. I'm four years old, and I'm the only one in my whole class that can tie his own shoes. My mom took me to the circus for my birthday. Half my friends already went, but now I've gone too. Most kids make fun of me because I still believe in the tooth fairy. But I got five bucks yesterday, I believe. A third of the kids in my eighth grade class drink alcohol regularly. Over 99% of my class has been offered illegal drugs. Half of my college classmates binge drink, abuse drugs, or do both. But the frequent dinners I had with my family have helped make sure I'm not one of them. Go to CasaFamilyDay.org, take the Family Day Pledge, and get tips on how to talk to your kids about drugs and alcohol. Have dinner with them often, and you can significantly lower their risk of substance abuse. Dinner makes a difference. A message from the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia University. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Warren Farrell, who's the author of The Boy Crisis, Why Our Boys Are Struggling and What We Can Do About It. Uh, I want you to talk about, since you spent some time there talking about what dads are doing differently and uh, moms are not being quite aware of it, but what, what is it that moms are doing and what important role do they have in the proper upbringing of a boy? We say that moms unconditionally love their children, and they do, and of course, what is often dads tend to be far more conditional in their approval, but not more unconditional in their love. 
Um, and But because moms are always sort of much more likely to be there to protect and to be nurturing and to be vigilant, um, it gives a child an underlying feeling of being loved, cherished, taken care of, and secure. And that is uh, invaluable. Um, and fortunately, it's almost all moms remain involved, even if there's a separation. If a, if a mom is a, a working mom, um, she is almost always attentive to coming back for recitals, coming back on time to take care of the, ch the children within the framework of her ability to do that economically. And so that's, um, that's, and that is almost universal. Um, with the fathers, what, what the dads do is much less well understood. And, and the solution for positive parenting is understanding enough about what dads do to have a, a checks and balance, what I call checks and balance parenting, where you have the mother and father talking with each other about any single problem that comes up with the children, um, working on the unique characteristics of the child compared to brothers or sisters, and then saying, what is a, you know, what is a solution we can come to that balances that mother style with dad style? And so if I were to go back to that roughhousing example, the next aspect of dad's style that I mentioned briefly was dads will tend to sort of um, not, if, if the child is not regarding and paying attention to his sister and being empathetic, uh, the father won't just repeat, will be much less likely to repeat the process of saying, Jimmy, I told you this, Jimmy, I told you this, Jimmy, I told you this, uh, which is mom is more likely to do, but he's more likely to, after just one warning or maybe two at the most, just say, um, okay, I gave you the warning, now there's no more roughhousing. So what dads then tend to do is enforce their boundary, the boundaries. Mm -hmm. When boundaries are enforced, that requires children to have the, mo the single most important ingredient to success, which is postponed gratification. The child has to look at, um, I, I'd be more gratified here to get rid of my sister and get rid of the kid and, and win this rough, you know, and be, a, be in the best position in the rough housing to, to turn my dad over and defeat him in, in the wrestling match. And um, the, um, uh, whereas when, da when dad enforces that boundary, the child has to focus on doing what it needs to do, which is being empathetic to the other kids that are roughhousing with me. And all of this is when they're highly excited and energized, and that's called by psychologists emotional intelligence under fire. But the most important thing that the children are learning is to focus on doing what they must do in order to get what they want, more roughhousing, more excitement. Right. And so, and that is, and that, and that is, so when children are raised primarily by dads, uh, we find that only 15% of them have ADHD. When children are read, uh, raised primarily by moms, it's 30%. And so dads need to communicate that their requirement of the child to do what she or he needs to do without excuses yeah. is part of what gives them the ability to finish their homework, part of what gives them the ability to practice all the drills that are necessary to be a sports hero. Um, and so then they start feeling better about themselves in school when they have that postponed gratification. Right. Um, and I, I, I want. I just want to make sure we're gonna. We're. It's. It's so interesting, and I want you to come back. I think to talk more about this. But you mentioned ADHD, mm -hmm. and that that got me thinking about mental health generally, because I think you can make some connections between ADHD and mental health. And I'm wondering if the dads are, if the children who have dad time are less likely to be diagnosed with ADHD because the dads are saying 
well, this isn't ADHD. This is just normal kid behavior, as opposed to the moms who are saying this kid is running around like a nut. Or, you know, similarly to what I have always thought and has been confirmed somewhat, I think, at least anecdotally, that when, when there are more female teachers, that boys tend to be diagnosed more than girls with ADHD. And so, so talk a little bit about that, but also the issue of boys in mental health and how the, the way that we've constrained the acceptable emotions for boys pretty much as anger um, and, and how our inability to diagnose what's really going on with them is contributing to the overall boy crisis. Yes, I mean, there's so many. So with ADHD, um, usually it's female teachers, absolutely. But they do see, the female teachers do see a much greater amount of fidgetiness, a much greater amount of um, the children, your boys not being able just to um, pay attention in class and without bothering somebody or passing a note or, you know, sort of making some type of um, physical um, gesture to, to get somebody else's attention. And so I think it's very accurate that boys, uh, compared to girls, um, tend to um, manifest more ADHD. However, the school system has many, many ways of preventing that. One is more recess, which has, recess has been cut back a great deal. Um, and, so, and we now know from the Centers for Disease Control that the more ch- time that children spend doing recess up to a certain point, the more effective it is on connecting the neurons and the synapses in their brain so that the, so that the recess time is actually more effective for studying effectively for a test mm-hmm. than, yeah. than the same amount of time is for stu- uh, if it was put into studying alone. The schools have completely missed this boy-friendly way of both helping the boys and also helping um, students in general succeed. Another example is vocational education, is that, um, that boys who are that, in that fidgety mode and have ADHD are far more likely to drop out of school. When boys drop out of school um, in high school, uh, the, the unemployment rate is uh, more than 20% in their early 20s. Whereas in Japan, there's an understanding that boys have this type of physicality. Uh, they need to learn how to do something, not just study academically. And so, the, the, uh, and so about 25% of Japanese students are in, uh, are in vocational education, mostly males. And when they graduate, 99.6% of them are able to get jobs right away. Wow. So you have this one, one six-tenths of 1% unemployment rate versus 20% unemployment rate. And mm. most people listening here do not need a lesson on the connection between unemployment and, and committing crime and getting into having your testosterone channeled ineffectively is, is one of the most um, the greatest predictors of destructive behavior, having it channeled effectively by presence of dad and by right. boundary enforcement is one of the greatest predictors of, of, of constructive behavior. We've only got about a minute left, but I do want you to touch a little bit more on, on the, the mental health aspect of it and how we're, we're missing signs of what's going on with boys. And uh, if we're missing the signs, we're missing the opportunity to help them, and the, which means we're missing an opportunity to pot- stop some potentially catastrophic event from happening. Absolutely. Here's the slippery slope um, from 
that n- not finishing the homework, not getting focusing on the um, on the being able to become uh, proficient at whatever your dream is, uh, in sports or whatever, um, then the the boy often feels like the teachers are honoring the other students more than him. The girls, the boys, boy peers are respecting the other students. Girls, and when it comes to boy girl time, girls are not interested in dating losers, so they ignore them. The boy then withdraws into uh, video games or porn, and that makes him feel more and more isolated, except by virtual friends that he doesn't have much contact contact with. Uh, that leads often to depression and worst case scenarios to suicide, uh, obviously the uh, manifestation of an enormous mental health issue. And in worst case scenarios, we now know that almost all mass shooters have a lack of father involvement and a lack of postponed gratification. And, um, they, and also almost all ISIS recruits, boys and girls, have a lack of father involvement and a lack of postponed gratification. So in 30 seconds, what do we do? Um, we get, well, A, we get dads more involved. We honor dads. We develop a whole concept called Father Warrior. We allow um, the, the society as a whole needs to communicate to moms what the dad contribution to parenting is and how essential he is. Second, if, if a, you're a single mom and you cannot in any circumstance get your, the father involved, get your ch- child involved in Cub Scouts, get in Boy Scouts. If you're faith-based oriented, get them involved in a faith-based community where they're talking and sharing their feelings with other boys their age. Warren Farrell is the co-author with John Gray of The Boy Crisis, Why Our Boys Are Struggling and What We Can Do About It. Warren, thanks so much for joining us. Great to have you. It's a pleasure. Always wonderful to talk with you, Armin. WWE superstar Alberto Del Rio, take one. Behold the angry giant. Try it again, Alberto. Behold the angry giant. Perfect. Good luck tonight. Behold the angry giant. Yay! Read me another one, Dad. This is WWE superstar Alberto Del Rio. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Hi, this is John Androsik of Five for Fighting, here for RAD, the entertainment industry's voice for road safety. You know, style is a personal thing, and your lifestyle is your business. But if you take it on the road, it becomes everybody's business. So please, plan ahead, designate before you celebrate. Friends, don't let friends drive drunk. A public service announcement brought to you by RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and it's time for a Parents at Play segment. You know, it's only part of the way into the summer, but people are already talking about how this could be one of the hottest ones ever. That means that even though most of us would much rather be outside playing, we'll have to spend a bit more time inside. Here are a few games and one non-game product that will help you chill on those days when it's just too hot to go outside. Build a Bot from Basic Fun. Another STEM-type toy for the younger set. Follow the easy instructions to create a basic unicorn by snapping and clicking together the pieces. Then you customize and personalize your one-horned wonder with stickers. Once you're done, just clap your hands or make some other loud noise to bring your unicorn to life. It'll walk across the floor and make unicorny sounds, whatever those are. Batteries required but not included. It's for ages 5 and up, although kids under 7 might need a little adult help with assembly. Prices vary. It's at basicfun.com. The Flying Sushi Kitchen from Redwood Ventures. 
calling all sushi chefs. Players take turns filling orders. All you have to do is pull an order card and put the right pieces of sushi on the plate before time runs out. Oh, wait, did I mention that those sushi pieces are floating in the air and that you have to use chopsticks to grab them? This is a really fun game that's a challenge for even the most adept chopstick user, and there are chopstick trainers for those who need a little help. The first to fill $25 worth of orders wins. It's for one to four players, ages six and up. Prices vary. You can find out more at redwood-ventures.com. Tic-tac-tongue from Yulu. Put on a lizard mask and set up your flies. Then you use the party blower tongue to do what lizards do to flies. Well, sort of. Sounds gross, but it's really fun, and we guarantee that you'll never make it through this game without giggling hysterically. It's for two to four players ages four and up at ulutoys.com is where you can find out more information. The New Air EC111W Portable Evaporative Cooler from New Air. The more time you spend inside, the more you'll be tempted to run your air conditioner, but that can be really expensive. With the New Air EC111W, you'll be able to stay cool without the cost. Unlike standard AC, this evaporative cooler, which is sometimes also called a swamp cooler, is all-natural and completely eco-friendly, and it uses the evaporating water and laws of physics instead of chemicals to do its job. It also uses 75% less energy, which makes it about as much electricity as a 100-watt light bulb, and it makes hardly any noise. This cooler covers only about 250 square feet, but since it's compact and portable, you won't have any trouble moving it from room to room. The three-speed fan and remote control ensure that you'll have complete control over the temperature. Works best in hot, dry, in other words, non-humid areas. Costs about $190, but you can get 20% off by using the code MRDAD at checkout. You'll find the link at our website, parentsatplay.com. You'll also find a lot more reviews of a wonderful array of toys and games and activities to do with your kids all year round at parentsatplay.com. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.